it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, I'm Richard Anderson. You are listening to TV Confidential. Ed Robertson, welcome you back to TV Confidential Radio Talk Show about television that will bring you part two of a conversation that began last week with our friend John Burlingame. John Burlingame, the nation's leading writer on the subject of music for films and television. John's latest book, Music for Primetime, A History of American Television and Scoring, is the first journalistic history of music for American television. 35 years in the making, music for primetime not only includes more than 450 interviews with composers, orchestrators, producers, editors, and musicians who are or who were active in the field of music composed for television, but tells the backstory of every great TV theme music or TV theme song while also painting revealing portraits of the many composers who made those TV themes possible. Music for primetime available in hardcover from Oxford University Press. Wherever books are sold, you can also find it Amazon.com. If you missed part one of our conversation with John, that is available for free on the TV Confidential podcast, which you can find wherever you find podcasts. We were particularly talking about some of the composers who worked on the Quinn Martin shows from the 60s and 70s when we ran out of time last week. As we pick up the conversation, one of my favorite Quinn Martin themes is the theme to Dan August. And it's a great theme, but I've, I've mentioned this before on the show. I may have even mentioned this to you. Whenever I think of Dan August, I think of I think of Burt Reynolds flying over the car and sliding across the church floor. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god, Ed. You know, and that's one of the things about TV themes in general yeah. that I love is if you hear the tune, you are immediately catapulted back to whatever moment of your childhood or young adulthood and you can visualize what it was you were looking at when you first heard that yeah. music, whether it's a main title sequence or whether it's some action sequence from the show, whatever. Um, and although Dan August, I think, only ran one it only, season. It only ran one year. And the, the weird thing about it, I'm just thinking aloud here, which is always dangerous, but <laughs> the the theme is very action-oriented. Oh, yeah. And, and, and again, it, it's punctuated by all the stunts that Bert did on the show because Bert was a stuntman before right. he became a performer. Right. And yet the show itself, even though it, it, it has it, – it, 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 every episode is punctuated with moments of action, it was, it was very much a character piece in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, uh, Ralph Sinensky, he said in this program, if they gave that show a little more rope, it could have been – like Rockford Files in theme in, in, in that because he was a police detective in the town where he grew up in. Right. And so there was an internal, there was an, there was an automatic conflict every week because he knew the people he had to investigate. And while Burt Reynolds was not Jim Garner as a performer, Burt Reynolds was not a bad actor. And, and I think there, there, this has been told many times. There are a lot of expectations going into that show and because, 
for one reason or another, it wasn't given time to jail beyond the one year. Right. But, right. but, but again, it, there's a lot of great contemporary music in Dan August. By Dave Grusin, one of the great jazz artists America has ever produced. I'm crazy about Dave, who is now in his 80s and still on tour, still playing and still, um, still writing music. And, you know, Grusin was one of those guys who got started in TV in the 1960s and then branched out and became a very successful film composer. But you not only got Dan August by Dave, Dave Grusin, the great theme for The Name of the Game, mm-hmm. and It Takes a Thief, yeah. and Beretta, that whole late 60s, early 70s period, they're all a bunch of great themes. And, and you can read all about them, and you can read all about Dave Grusin and the, people, and the other people who bring them to us. Music for Primetime, a history of... American television themes and scoring available Oxford University Press and Amazon.com. Before we started recording, uh, we were talking about, now, disclosure, I just released a book on the FBI television series, and and, and I'm not kidding. I I, I referenced John's book many (laughs) times. Uh, as, as I learned about some of the different uh, composers who contributed to that show, the FBI was Quinn Martin's longest-running show. It ran nine full seasons. It yeah. beat out Barnaby by, by one half year. Barnaby was eight and a half. But I think one of the reasons why the FBI ran as long as it did, they changed showrunners uh, midway, so you had a new look, and uh, a, 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 and he would bring in a different uh, – Phil Salzman brought in different writers. But – I don't know whether Saltzman had anything to do with directly or whether this is all John Elizaldi, but they're all the composers like Dwayne Tatro, who contributed to the show the last four or five years, were not the same composers uh, who contributed to the FBI the first five years. And there's a lot more, you know, contemporary funky kind of. I mean, um, I I think I think it's I think in your book, Tatro says for one episode of the FBI. He used hangers. I don't know how he did that, but that's fascinating. <laughs> how do you make music out of hangers? Well, that's and that's one of the other things about television is that generally, if you're composing a score for a, t- a one-hour drama, you don't have a lot of time. In that era, late '60s, early '70s, you might be you might get two weeks to write. 20 or 30 minutes for a show. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you're lucky to get four or five days. Yeah. Uh, things are very, very tight. But the turnaround was always fast. And you generally didn't have a lot of time to think about it. You just went to work. And sometimes, if you were, if you felt particularly creative, you would pull stuff out of your mind that you might never have done otherwise. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. But it didn't matter. You had another one to do next week. So um, sometimes there were creative, particularly in the percussion realm, uh, pr- creative ways to make noise <laughs> that one, in one way or another the composer felt would be effective for whatever scene that there was that they were doing. Um, it's also true that I've been thinking about this. I was listening on the way over today to uh, my Man From Uncle albums. And these guys would often sort of vamp for 30 or 40 seconds with just noises made in the percussion section to just sort of keep the keep the the vibe and the flow of that particular scene before the action really hit. So you know these guys were all and you know I have to say Ed, I don't think it's just because we grew up in this era of the '60s and '70s. I think that some of the most creative and memorable music for TV was made during that era. 
And I think it's because these guys were so schooled in taking traditional musical sounds for either classical or jazz ensembles, whatever they grew up with, whatever they were used to doing, and applying it um, in creative ways. And this this goes back to our uh, to how we started our conversation. It's a shame that only recently, through pe- through the efforts of people like John Burlingame and the and the Film Music Society, that um, um, uh, music composed expressly for television shows is is getting the due it it deserved all along. Because um, the the composers who are tasked to come up with these things, often on virtually no notice, they all came from traditional, orchestral, quote-unquote, respected musical backgrounds. Right. And, they, and, and they brought that gravitas to the forum to create these, thong, to, to create these 60-second songs or themes, pieces of music that we're still talking about today. Yeah, that's right. It's so interesting that one of the things that I added... Um, to this new edition of the book was I managed to find uh, a short interview with Irving Zathmary, a name that most of your listeners will not recognize, but who is the guy who wrote the theme for and all of the music for five seasons of Get Smart. That's right. And um, so I actually have an Irving Zathmary quote in the book, which I'm thrilled about (laughs) because nobody talked to these guys in that era about what they were doing. It was like nobody cared, nobody was interested, and and particularly from my point as an author, nobody took pictures. It's so difficult to find photographs of these guys at work in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Um, And I can tell you that for every photograph of, of somebody in that book, I worked really hard to try to find it. You know, I mean, I managed to find a picture of Benny Carter uh, working on M Squad with Lee Marvin, you know. Um, and in particularly, that's a particularly interesting topic because Benny Carter was an African-American jazz mm-hmm. composer. And in fact, the first black composer to achieve screen credit in television because the guy who was running the Universal TV Music Department, a guy named Stanley Wilson, mm-hmm. was very progressive. And, and while most blacks were more or less barred from the film and TV music world in that era, Stanley Wilson took it upon himself to hire these guys because A, he knew they were good, and B, they were, it was the right thing to do. An, another progressive hire, same, roughly the same area, may, may, maybe he was about five, five or so years after uh, Benny Carter, was Oliver Nelson. Oh, man. I was heartbroken to discover that Oliver Nelson died like... In the mid seventies. Oh, yeah, and and he wasn't. He was still in his mid forties. Yeah, a very young guy. And and Oliver Nelson is one of my all time favorite composers. Mm-hmm. Again, not a name we hear a lot today. Yeah. Uh, although, if you're a jazz fan and you know the tune, you know the album Blues and the Abstract Truth. That's the classic Oliver Nelson jazz album. But Oliver came out here in the sixties um, and applied his skills to shows like Ironside and the Six Million Dollar Man. Um, and a lot of stuff at Universal in that late 60s, early 70s period. Colombo fans know him oh, yes. as the composer and the underscore writer to Greenback Jungle, which is one of the best episodes of that Greenhouse series. Jungle. Yeah. Greenhouse, Greenhouse yeah, Jungle. That's right, yeah. Uh, early 70s, again, he was a fixture at Universal. Uh, also did some stuff at Paramount. Uh, Longstreet is another um, mm-hmm. is another Oliver Nelson show. That's right, that's right. He and. He also did the theme to a pilot with Henry Fonda and Larry Hagman called Alpha Caper, 
which is all uh, he 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 did that around the he did that yes. around the time he was doing that's uh, right uh, he did the score for Greenhouse Jungle, which I understand was another accidental score. <laughs> um, uh, my friend David Koenig just released an excellent book on Columbo, and um, uh, I'm 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 going to. I'm shortcutting the story, but basically the the original score they wanted for that episode they didn't like. That's right. And Oliver was on staff at the studio, and yep. so they they he 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 was the Kenley Jansen of that score. <laughs> <laughs> and that happened not a lot in television. The yeah. number of times when a score was actually thrown out and replaced because for one reason or another the producers didn't like it was very rare in that era because there generally wasn't time. You know, you're up against air date schedules, and, you know, if it's Monday and you need to be on the air in seven days, there generally isn't time to write and record a new score. So that didn't happen often, but it did. Music for Primetime, a history of American television themes and scoring available Oxford University Press and Amazon.com. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. One more item. Our friends at Coda Life offer group sound bath meditations once a month at the Women's Club of South Pasadena. A sound bath is a deeply immersive experience that uses sound waves generated from music and instruments in an intentional flow to create deliberate relaxation that produces renewal and recovery, both for the central nervous system and the energetic body. For more information, go to kotalife.com, C-O-T-A-L-I-F-E, kotalife.com, or at kotalifegoddess on Instagram. Hi, this is Robert Colbert coming to you from Malibu and thanking you for listening to TV Confidential. I want to talk about John Williams here. Sure. I told John this uh, before we started recording. Um, a couple of months ago, my girlfriend and I went to, um, I guess they call it a John Williams Night at the Hollywood Bowl. It's an annual, it's an annual celebration of the music of John Williams, particularly um, Star Wars, Indiana Jones. But what's cool about this event at the Bowl is that all these Williams fans, they bring lightsabers, <laughs> and they keep time to the, to the to, and and I understand that Williams himself loves that. I think that's right. Um, I think that he was a little surprised, maybe even astonished, when that started happening a few years ago at the Bowl, and I think now he kind of revels in it. Yeah. It is, It is in fact, a celebration. It is. Um, and people just so get into it. And it's a lot of fun if you go and you're part of that crowd. I don't know if it happens in other parts of the country. Williams says no. Williams says the only place that it happens is at the Hollywood <laughs> Bowl. And, I, and, and to me, that's appropriate. Because we are in the entertainment capital of the world, as K-Earth used to say. But, uh, uh, but I just think, I think it's appropriate. But, but lest we forget... Before he became John Williams, Steven Spielberg's go-to composer for the last 40 years, he was Johnny Williams, and he did a lot of cool stuff for television. That's exactly right. He was Johnny Williams. Um, and, and I'm lucky enough to have interviewed, on a number, interviewed him on a number of occasions. And the last time I saw him, in fact, um, a few months ago, I thanked him again for the score for Checkmate, which he which oh, was a Sebastian Cabot. We, yeah. Exactly, nineteen sixty, and it was a one hour drama, a private eye drama on CBS, and it was John's first Grammy nomination when he took those themes that he'd written for this 
this weekly private eye show and turn them into an, an, a great jazz album. So, but of course, not just Checkmate, but the Irwin Allen shows, mm-hmm. Lost in Space, Land of the Giants, The Time Tunnel, um, uh, TV movies that he won Emmys for in the late 60s, early 70s, named Heidi and Jane Eyre, wonderful music. And then stuff that nobody talks about, um, which was all his scores for the anthology series of the 1960s, Alcoa Premiere, Craft Suspense Theater, Bob Hope Presents the Chrysler Theater, probably titles that don't mean anything to anybody under the age of 50 or 60 now, but that were very important at the time. When when you had a chance to talk to John Williams, uh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just imagining, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I, I, again, I'm thinking aloud. Um, given that most people who talk to him, they talk to him about the stuff that he's known for. I would imagine he that John, when you sat down with John Williams, he found it refreshing to talk about some of his other stuff, you know, his his television work, some some of his some of his well known and lesser known television, because nobody asked him about that stuff. I think that's probably true. And let's face it, he's been active in films and big films now since 1970 how many years is that 50 50 yeah. you know so it's kind of natural for sure. people to concentrate on the big stuff that people remember mm-hmm. but really he he learned his craft toiling in weekly television mm-hmm. starting in 1958 at universal um and so i think it's an important element of his entire career and even though you know he hasn't been active in TV for years, except for the occasional theme, Amazing Stories, which mm-hmm. he did for Spielberg in '85, and you know the um, the Olympics fanfares, that kind of thing. Um, but boy, I'll tell you, there's a lot of great John Williams music. For t- I watched just the other night. I watched one of the early episodes of Lost in Space with an original uh, Williams score. This was the one where the Jupiter Two crashes mm-hmm. on the planet. That was the third episode, I think. It was great. And I thought, wow, you know, he was probably in his 30s yeah. at the time and and as as talented then as he is now. John Williams, one of the many people that John Burlingame brings to life. Music for primetime, history of American television themes and scoring available. Bookstores everywhere, Oxford University Press, as well as Amazon.com. We'll take a quick time out, then we'll talk about the music of John Parker and other great composers. We continue our conversation with John Burlingame here on TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.